I trust you are well. My name is Stan. For those that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors at Glenridge Church. And I trust that uh, you, are, you are coping and getting through this, this unprecedented time. Just to, just to, I'm going to preach on Acts chapter 3 uh, today. And w- before I get there, though, I, while we, we spent some time fasting as a church a couple of weeks ago, and one of the pictures that came out was the picture of Moses in the mountains and Joshua in the, in the fields fighting the enemy. And, and Moses' two companions, Aaron and Hur, that were holding his hands up. And as long as his hands were up, Joshua won the battle. But when his hands drop, dropped, Joshua started to lose the battle. And there was the sense of actually we need to be with each other now, holding each other's hands up. And it's quite profound, the, the words that, um, that the meaning of Aaron and Hur are strength and liberty. And so at this time, we really need to make sure that our hands are being held up, giving us strength, but also giving us liberty, giving us freedom. And I trust that, that we've got people around us um, that can give us strength and that can keep us free. One of the first things that comes upon us when we go through a tough time is that we start to feel condemnation. Is God doing this and what's happening? We lose our freedom in God. We lose the no condemnation in Christ. And so often we get pulled away into performance, into doing, and our doing enables us to keep some semblance of control. It kind of makes us in control of something at least when we're in a place that is very much out of our control. And I want to encourage you, just make sure that you've got friends around you. Make sure that you're connected to people that can hold your hands up, particularly to give you strength and courage and to give you freedom and liberty in this time. And I pray that actually by the end of today, um, you'll have more strength and you'll have more freedom and more liberty um, with what God is wanting to do with you. Anyway, Acts chapter 3, we're actually in a series on the book of Acts and we, we did a little bit of a double take on the Holy Spirit for a few weeks. We spoke about the person of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, and then last week Drew did the gifts of the Spirit. But we want to get back to the book of Acts, and so we're in chapter 3 now. Uh, chapter 3, we've had chapter 1 was where uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples and spoke to them and taught them. And uh, he, was, he, went, he was ascended and went up, and the, the disciples were looking at him. The angels come to the disciples and say, don't look here, go and wait in Jerusalem. They go, wait in Jerusalem. And the power of God comes upon them. It's Pentecost. It's a, it's a, it's a significant moment. And all of this, um, I started talking about how the new kingdom of God is revealed. And the new priesthood is revealed. And the new temple is revealed. The priesthood is no longer limited to those that qualify by, by ancestry. But now the, the priesthood is, is actually everybody who knows God becomes a priest and able to minister to God and minister to others. And there's a new temple. There's a, the temple is no longer confined to one location. But actually the temple is you and me. And when we gather, it's you and me gathering. And so the temple goes wherever the people of God goes. So, so we have this new kingdom, this kingdom of God that's rushing in through, the, through the, the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We've got a new temple. Actually, the presence of God is upon us. We've got a new priesthood. We've got new ministry available to us. And, and we've got this new breed leadership that starts to emerge. And we, we spoke a bit about Peter and how he stood up in those days through a whole history of failure and and putting his foot in it all the time. 
And so we have this incredible moment where, where we have this new breed leadership starting to emerge in the life of the church. And then we, and, the, and Acts chapter 2 is, is the presence of God comes, Pentecost, there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God, and this church gets empowered to be what it's called to be. The, the story then moves to Acts chapter 3, which is actually a story of, of a beggar that is, and I'm going to re, we'll read it now, it's about a beggar who, who sits at the gate beautiful, and uh, Peter and John are walking past him, and they have this encounter, and this healing happens. And it's quite profound because it's the first story after Pentecost where, where, where um, it says in Acts chapter 2 that the, uh, lots of the people are in awe of the signs and wonders that were done by the apostles. And so it's like Acts chapter 3 is kind of like a description of some of the signs and wonders that were done by the apostles. And, and I think profoundly this Acts chapter 3 is a, is a, reveals to us a sermon that is given by Peter to all the onlookers of this healed man. And it gives us a beautiful description of the gospel that Peter preached on that day. So it, it kind of Luke, as he's writing this book, is kind of very intentional about the stories he's putting in. Remember, this is breathed by the Holy Spirit, but it's also researched by and written by somebody. So God is ensuring that the partnership between him and people that are even writing the scripture is mirroring what we to live out as priests today, where there's this partnership breathed by God, inspired by God, but also done by human beings thinking and, and contemplating and thinking about what they should put in under the spirit of God. But let's, let's read uh, Acts chapter 3. This is what it says. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple court. So he was put there every day. So this man was staying with some people and they used to carry him out. And he was, you will see he was, um, he was lame from birth. So he was carried out and put there by these people to beg as people were going into the temple. When Peter and saw when Peter and John were about to enter, he asked them for money. This guy asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us! Exclamation mark. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So he's saying, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Asking him by the, take, sorry, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, 
He said to them, men, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why does this healing surprise you? Why does this occurrence surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? That's very important. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. This is quite a hard-hitting gospel presentation to these guys. Like, do you not understand? This is Jesus raised from the dead and you killed him. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It was Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as, you, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. That's Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Friends, this is a profound story in, for our lives. It's a profound story. It's the first story after Pentecost, which is significant in itself. But what we, want to, what we need to do is kind of understand the context. This man was 40 years old, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 22. He's been crippled since birth. He was put there to beg. And I can imagine... Imagine a guy that's kind of quite helpless and he's staying with somebody and they're saying, listen, how do you keep, uh, you've got to pay for your upkeep. How do we, so they kind of, I wonder whether we were sitting there as a business for somebody kind of, and he was sitting at the, at the temple courts waiting for people to come in and kind of praying a little bit on the, on the kind of kindness and the religious um, need for almsgiving, for giving to the poor. So, I mean, how could you walk into church and walk past a guy that's, that's, that's lame and can't work and can't walk and actually not give him anything? So it's kind of, uh, in, in my mind, there's, there's, there's a little business going there. It's a little bit kind of, and he's been doing this from the beginning for, for years and years and years and years and years, for 40 years. It, he, was, he was one of those situations where he was a familiar sight to all of those that went to the temple. That was his space. And as much as in here in South Africa, we can go to robots and we see familiar faces of those standing at the robots begging. It's kind of it's a familiar face of somebody that you that you walk past every time you go to the temple. And in fact, Jesus must have walked past him many, many, many times. But what's interesting is that Jesus never healed him. And it was up to Peter and John now who come, who have now had the Spirit of God fall on them. They've been taught by Jesus for, for 40 days about, about the kingdom of God. They've seen Jesus ascend. They've, they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And now they walk through the temple, but they see things completely differently. And I think this is one of the, one of the results of, for, of working and walking with, um, with God as the power of God has come on us. So Pentecost has come. All of a sudden, it's empowered them to minister. These new breed leaders are now new breed ministers as well. 
And so they are now exercising that. And this in the scriptures is the first time we kind of see this as Pentecost has, has come out. What's interesting, it's, he, he, Peter says to this guy, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have money. This guy's looked at them and said, hey, called out to them, kind of and expected them to give him something. And Peter said, now look at me. I want to tell you something. I haven't got money. I haven't got money. But what I do have to you, I, I, I give to you. And he took his hand and he said, stand up and walk. And instantly his feet and ankles become healed and he can start to walk again. Somebody that's never, ever walked in their whole life. So Peter didn't have money. And what, what was charity before? And I think, I think we've got to rethink what, you see, charity is giving, is just giving money to somebody that you walk past every day. But actually God wants to move from more from, he wants to move from charity or seeing people as charity cases. He wants to take us to a place where actually we can do something way more that money can't buy. We, we've actually got something. We, we have something in God to help people. And what we have is, is something that money can't buy. It's a gift from God. It's a promise from God. And Peter and John begin to outlive that. They understand that there's a new power and there's a new kind of life that they call to discover and to reach out. And so their help now doesn't just become charity. It becomes real help. It becomes God's justice. It becomes God's new, new life. It becomes God's new way by his people, expressing his love and his compassion to those around them. So that real help for this man was to restore his identity and to restore his worth and to restore the purpose that God originally had for him, to restore his created value and for him to begin to live in that created value. But you see, friends, it needs the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do that. And I've, I recently, be, we watched the, the first Grand Prix of the year last week. And the Formula One is, has grabbed onto the, the Black Lives Matter story. And, and they've got end racism on everything. They, so on their race cars, it says end racism. They've got t-shirts that say end racism. And what struck me when I looked at that, I thought, you know what? You can say end racism. You can, you can put that, you can put labels on it. You can do anything about it. But the only way you can end racism is for God to change hearts. So a declaration end racism can at most bring some awareness, but it doesn't ever change anybody's hearts. It actually can't end racism. And, but what we have here is we have real help. We have, we have an ability for God, the power of God that's come upon these people to now extend help way more than what money can buy. I wrote this. It's easy to legislate the flesh to evil, but it's impossible to legislate the heart to good. It's, it's incredible how the system of apartheid could legislate evil and, and kind of it just extends and things happen. But as soon as you want to do good, you put, things to, you put laws in place to do good. You can't ever legislate good. Good has got to come from a changed heart. It's very difficult to legislate so that people do the right thing. You can have some laws, but... People, the, 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 the deceitfulness of people's hearts always find a way around it and the shortcuts and what we don't do and what we don't have to do. And what Peter and John find here, they find that they've been empowered from on high within a relationship with Jesus to do and extend help that is way more than what they ever thought they could do. And friends, I want to say that to you, to the church, to us as the church. Friends, we've been empowered to help. Not just, to, not just charity cases, 
not just to give money. And charity is amazing. That's the first place of help. It's relief. It's helping people. But actually what we want to do is we want to take people that were crippled and lame outside the temple and get them healed up and restored and transformed so that they can be worshippers inside the temple. That's actually, that's real help. That's, that's taking people on the journey that God wants us to take them on. So what did Peter have? Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. And my question to us this today is what do you have? What do you have? And I'm not talking about money. Take money out of the picture. Take money completely out of the picture. It's interesting that for Peter and John, money was no longer the solution. Money was no longer the most important thing. And I'm sure Peter and John gave that beggar many times as they walked into the temple before. But now they realize, hang on, money is not the solution. Money is a stopgap. But actually there's a better solution. It's called healing. It's called salvation. It's called the name of Jesus and living in faith in the name of Jesus. And so Peter, so Peter begins, to, to begins to extend that mercy of God, that salvation to God, and we see this man's life completely changed. So what did Peter have? We know that he didn't have money. We know that he had, he had something that money couldn't buy. And that man needed something that money couldn't buy. He needed healing. From birth, he, 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 he was sitting there helpless. So he needed something that money couldn't buy. And all these years, he was content to keep sitting there and asking for money. But actually, that's not really what he needed. It was not really what he wanted. He wanted to walk. He wanted to be in the temple, not sitting out in the temple worshiping, not sitting at the temple begging. And we need to shift our mentality and allow God to change something in our hearts that we can move inside the temple and take people on a journey and to become worshippers rather than to keep paying them as beggars or keep helping them as beggars. And uh, I think true social justice, true justice from God takes people on a journey. Charity keeps people where they are and it just becomes something that you keep giving and it's an endless, it's an endless flow of just keeping on giving. But God wants to change that by his power. And what's interesting, what Peter had, he, he had because of his relationship with Jesus. He didn't even need money to have what he had. He had it because of the way he knew Jesus, because of how he knew Jesus. And we've got to remember that actually what we have, friends, the most important thing that we have in our hearts and in our hands is something that money can't buy. And it's actually got to do with the relationship with Jesus. It's got to do with the fruitfulness that comes from a life style of walking with Jesus. So what are the things that some of the things that Peter did have? Well, he had authority. He had authority to, to heal the sick. Friends, at this time, we've got to exercise our authority in Christ. And, it's, and, and I think we've also got to move away from that, that the only miracles or the only, the only way God really expresses his power is in healing. And it is something in the scriptures that happens a lot. But friends, the power of God is available to business. The power of God is available to the workplace. The power of God is available to your family. This, this supernatural power that we have, that we carry, that was given to us through the laying in of hands or through the outpouring of the Spirit and through giving our lives to Jesus, friends, is available to every area of life. And we've got to start learning what it means to live in authority for the area of life that you are in. 
What does it mean to live in, the, in, that, in that place? What does it mean for you in the area that you're in? If you're in business, have you got a confidence in the authority that you have in Christ to pray, to put in place, to prophesy, to, to move things, to make good decisions? You have authority to pray into the, the, the deals and the decisions that you've got to make and, and, to, and to hear God for those places and to see God change things. So he had authority. He also had revelation. He had a revelation that he was sent. He had a revelation that actually his job was not to sit on the couch. His job was not to walk past the beggar and just give him money. His job was to actually engage the beggar by the hand and say, stand up and walk. So he had this, he had this, this revelation that he was sent, that he was on a mission, that he, that he had a purpose in God. That his job was not just to come to church on a Sunday, but actually to use the church on a Sunday as an encouragement, as a halftime pep talk to get us going through the week so that we live 24-7 Jesus lives. He also had a revelation that he was the solution. He was the solution to what God wanted to do. We say, God, please help us. But actually so often we are the solution to what God wants us to do. You see, the, the lame man wanted to be supported in his condition. The, la the lame man felt like he didn't have any other option except to sit there and beg. But somebody that's got a solution thinks, actually, no, that's not the only option. And your condition can change. This is what Peter, all of a sudden he starts thinking these things. Remember, he's got the new, he's got a presence of God. He's got a new life. He's got a new kingdom. He's got a new way in God. And he's now thinking through that lens of what to do. Peter and John wanted something more than supporting the man in his condition. They wanted to change his life. Friends, have we got something in our hearts that actually wants to change people's lives? Not just support people in their conditions. And this COVID time has really been amazing. People have been giving so that we can literally feed people, literally so that people don't starve. So it's been an amazing moment of relief. But we can't get stuck in relief. We've got to take people and develop them and transform them into God, what God wants for them. You see, they wanted to, to turn this disabled man outside the temple into a worshiper that was inside the temple. And they just, it, it took the moment of saying, imagine this, friends. So they, they get this, they, are we gonna, we, we, God wants to do something here. And they take him by the hands and they say, stand up and walk. It was at that moment that they took him by the hand that something happened. Faith was released and this man gets completely healed. Completely healed. Have we got faith? And this is what I, what do you have? Because what you have, what you don't have, you can't give away. But what you do have, you can give away. And have we got something in our hearts that can take people by the hand? And that might be a little bit of a journey. It might not be an instant thing like this. But can we take people by the hand and say, you can walk. And hold them until their feet are strong and their ankles are strong so that they can walk. And so that they can become the worshippers of God that they're called to be. What, what did Peter have? He had a revelation that he was sent. He had a revelation that he was the solution. 
to what God wanted to do. He also had a revelation of the salvation story of God. The reason why I read that whole text, you start to see, he talks about Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and he starts to paint this picture. It's This is the story of God unfolding, and we are those that are meant to take this unfolding story into more of what God wants to do. So he had this revelation that he was part of the story of God. And so he lived his life as part of that story. And we've got to transform our lives from being these kind of converts that cross a line to people that know how to live out the story of God in a profound way, which includes bringing healing to people and includes transforming people. He had a revelation of this also, that signs and wonders cause amazement, astonishment, but they don't make followers of Jesus. It's quite interesting that the people gather and it says there they were, they were filled with wonder and amazement. And it says people gathered because they were astonished. But astonished people and wondering people and amazed people don't become followers of Jesus. Peter had to stand up and preach the gospel and tell them that it was them that put Jesus on the cross and told them about the resurrection of Jesus. And fact, friends, if you carry on into chapter 4, we start to realize that they actually get persecuted because they spoke about the, res the resurrection of Jesus. So that he starts to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and how it's connected to the story of God and what the prophets said. And he, and he, and he says this, it's faith in the name it's faith in the name of Jesus that by this was done. So he's saying, actually, you know what, guys? It wasn't me. It was just my faith in Jesus that allowed this miracle to happen. Don't be, he says, don't be surprised. Why are you so surprised? It's just faith in Jesus. Do you understand who Jesus was? And he tells the people about Jesus. It's quite amazing. He doesn't tell them about him and the stories of his stories. He doesn't tell them about the man that was, that was, that was healed. He tells them about Jesus. And what happens is these unlockers begin to get unlocked. He tells them, he tells them, he says, you, do you know that you killed them by your ignorance? Friends, do we understand that Jesus died for us? And although he was put on the cross 2,000 years ago, actually we put him on the cross. And none of us are, are, are without guilt of Jesus being on the cross. And this is, once we acknowledge that, we realize, no, we need this resurrected Jesus in our lives to be able to transform our lives. He tells them to repent and turn to God. We spoke about repentance a couple of weeks ago. It's this idea of changing the way you see things. It's this revelation of, man, it was actually me. I don't deserve to be saved, but I am saved by the blood of Jesus because of his good work on the, on his in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. He says, you've got to turn to God. He tells him, you've got to turn to God. You've got to change your ways, and you've got to turn to God. Friends, are we, are we bold enough? What do you have? Do you have that in your heart? Because I tell you now, we're living in a world that needs us to have that in our hearts. Because that's what we've got to give. We've got to give a story of Jesus. We've got to give a revelation that we are sent, that we are solutions of God, that we're in the story of God. We've got to have a revelation that signs and wonders, even if people get healed, it doesn't mean they're going to make followers of Jesus. Become followers of Jesus. He says you must repent and return to God so that your sins might be wiped out. Friends, we've got to be, start talking to people again about their sin that needs to be wiped out. And it's quite amazing that in, in, in these days, they didn't have paper, they didn't have ink 
um, with acid in it that etched itself into the paper. So what you could do is you had to wait for that ink to dry. But before it dried, you could take a cloth and literally wipe it off so that what was written there was completely gone. And that's what Jesus does with our sin when we put our trust in him. It completely takes it off the page. What was written there? This was wrong. You did this. You idiot. You did wrong. You did this. You didn't do this. That all gets wiped away. And in Christ, we are seen as perfect. He has a revelation that people need to hear that. And he tells them that. He tells them to not just are your sins wiped away, but actually you need to do this so that times of refreshing may come upon your life. And then he goes on to talk about the anticipation of Jesus coming. And so they, they live in this incredible, God has done for me something so profound right now. He's taken away my sin. But there's times of refreshing coming. And man, we're waiting for the day when Jesus returns and renews all things and we live in a different place. They're living, they get the whole lot in the gospel message. It's not just a story about Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. It's Jesus loves you, he sent his son for you. You put him on the cross and actually you, because you put him on the cross, you now need forgiveness in him and that forgiveness is available to you in Christ. He wipes away your sin, he puts refreshing on you and you live with this incredible hope and anticipation of what he wants to do into the future. He preaches the gospel. Friends, what have you got in your heart? Peter didn't have money. This is what he had in his heart. He had an incredible love. He understood the love of God. He had incredible compassion. He had compassion in his heart. And it was compassion not just to give money, but to take people by the hand. Have we got this in our heart? Because friends, the season, the, the, the hills are white for harvest at the moment. But it needs a church to know what they have. It needs a people to know what they have so that they can give that away. It's, and what you have, friends, what you have that is most important is something that money can't buy and money can't give. Only Jesus gives. Only the Spirit of God gives. He has an expectation. He has an expectation that God wants to heal. How's our expectation? He has, that's, so do we have an expectation? James says this, you don't have because you don't ask. Stan wants to say, you don't have because you don't expect. It's the same kind of idea. Many have, come to, have not come to the place where they actually expect God to do it. And friends, we're getting tired now. We Zoomed out, we social mediaed out, we, we onlined out. We just, what have we got now? We've got to have something so that actually we can give that away in Christ. But friends, so often we settle, we don't get what we have in God because we settle for, for mediocrity. Friends, are we expectant at this time? Is there faith? What do you have? God has given you everything you need, but what do you have? We can only have what we take hold of in Him, what we have faithful in Him. And what we have faithful with, for in, in Him, we can give away to others and see people's lives transformed and become worshippers of God. He had an incredible humility. He had, this is what he had. He had humility. He said this, why are you so surprised? It's not by our own power or godliness that this happened. Friends, that is so powerful. We know oh, it wasn't by our power. But do we remember it's not by our godliness that these miracles happen? It's not by your holiness that these miracles happen. This is a grace gift from God. And if when we start to understand that God can use you no matter when and no matter how, 
It's not about how clever you are. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how much you know of the Bible. It's not about how, how perfect charactered you are. Those are all incredibly important things and will affect your influence and increase going forward. But friends, in the moment, God comes to you and all he's looking for is somebody that's available. And somebody that's humble enough to say, you know what? It's not by my power and it's actually not by my godliness either. It's by the name of Jesus that these things happen. This is what he had. Have you got that, friends? Have we got that in our hearts? I speak to myself as well. And lastly, he has an integrity of heart. What does he have? He has an integrity of heart. He can't give away what he hasn't got. So he doesn't pretend to give away what he hasn't got. But what he has got from God, he can give away and does give away. He gave the blame man power in the name of Jesus, but he could not give it unless he had it in his own life. Friends, how is our own lives? Let me say this. Often we want to be able to say, rise up and walk without having received the power of Jesus to transform our own lives. There's an integrity of heart that what's happening in his own life is what he's got to give to others. And so often we want to do out there, but we forget here what God wants to do in our own hearts. And I want to trust and pray that actually God is, wants to give you something today so that you can give it away. What do you have? The most important thing is not money which is in short supply at the moment. But the most important thing you can have is a revelation and a walk with Jesus. To know that you are sent, that you are a solution, that signs and wonders are important, but they're not, they don't make followers of Jesus. That you're part of a bigger story, that you have love and compassion and expectation and hunger and humility and an integrity of heart. Those are the things we've got to give away. And it's not by our power or godliness that God wants to work. It's by his power and his, his godliness that he wants to work. And I encourage you to step into more of what God has for you. Pentecost has come. The spirit of God has been poured out. I'm intrigued by this man's response. Once he gets saved, once, he, once this thing happens, the first thing he does he attaches himself to the apostles. He says he was with the apostles. Friends, when people get saved, when people come to know Jesus, they've got to connect with the apostles' teaching. They've got to connect with the people of God. That's the first thing he does. He connects with them. It says that um, of verse 11. It says, while the beggar held onto Peter and John, he physically was there. He wasn't going to let them go. We've got to get people connected to the people of God, to the word of God, to the worship of God corporately and, and otherwise. The second thing he does is it says he, he, he started worshiping, walking and leaping. The very thing that God had given to him, he started using. We've got to make sure that people, they get connected into the life of the people of God, to the church, and they begin to use what God has given to them and set them free from. They don't have to go through, they don't have to wait for years of counseling, and they just need to start operating in what God's given them. This is what this man does. And lastly, you see him, he begins to praise and worship God. Amazing. He gets knitted into a community of people. He begins to use the gifts and the thing that God's released him into. And then he becomes a worshiper of God. That's what we want people to do, friends. We don't want people sitting outside the temple. We want people worship, worshiping in. And if you've maybe acted like a beggar that sat outside the temple looking for coins and crumbs, friends, I want to tell you, stand up and walk and become a 
become a, a worshiper of God and move into the temple of God with the people of God and allow God to use you powerfully so that you can become Peter and John in, the, in this story. Friends, this is a profound, profound story. And I want to leave you with this question. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have? And what you have, give it away. And what you don't have, get stuck into God. Find out what you have in God and begin to draw on it. Get knitted into community and begin to start allowing God to fashion to you so that you can have something to give away. Let God change your own life so that you can begin to give away what he's done in your life. Father, I pray for your blessing and your, your power to be upon us as a community of people in these days. I thank you for the Pentecost 2,000 years ago. But thank you, Lord God, there are Pentecosts happening all the time. There's an outpouring of your spirit all the time upon your people. Father, will you empower us so that we can give away what you've given us? Will you, will you help us to be open? Will you help us to be open to receive what we need to get from you? So that we can give that away. Those things that money can't buy. A worshipping heart. A trust and a faith in Jesus. I pray for that in your incredible name. Amen. Bless you guys and have an incredible, incredible day.